Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Joining me in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He's the one we know as Alan Moore. Alan, hello. Hello, Justin. And also in studio, he is the former Joe Biden political operative and Bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is the one we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello. Hello, Justin. That was a very Seinfeld-esque uh, hello you started the, it was, with the, it was uh, hello Ellen yeah that was I could probably tone that down a little bit uh joining us from speaking of Seinfeld joining us from Boca del Vista in the Florida Peninsula he is the one the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy the one we know as Admiral Ken Carradine hello Admiral hello we got to get through this the Costanzas are waiting for me there yaddy, we go yaddy, yaddy. And, <laughs> and joining us from an undisclosed location in the great Bay State of Massachusetts. He is the former Huffington Post contributing writer and author of several books, including his most recent one, American Politics on the Rocks. He is Rich Rubino. Hey, Rich. Hey, how you doing? Ah, fantastic. Hey, we got uh, lots of subjects to talk about. It has been a busy time here in Washington, but we're going to start off with, uh, you know, part of doing a podcast is when we actually record these. Sometimes we are like John Oliver. We cover what happened last week today. Sometimes we give and scoop breaking news. Well, we have between our last episode recording and now, uh, Bob Mueller, the special counsel, decided it would be a nice idea to go up in front of the press, the media, the world, down at the uh, Kennedy Building, at uh, the Justice Department, go inside the press room, and give him his take on what's been going on. Uh, it is his first and pretty much only public appearance since he's become uh, the spe- since he was the special counsel. Uh, I'm going to sp- uh, Robert Mueller spoke for nine and a half minutes total, and I'm pretty much going to paraphrase what he said. Uh, number one, uh, read the report. Number two, don't bother calling me to testify because I'm only going to say what's in the report. I'm out of here. And, by the way, go read the report. We'll get into the nuances of what he actually said, but that pretty much covers it. Uh, Dan Lipner— You left off a big line. (laughs) Well, no, we'll get to that part. You're talking about the, if we could have exonerated the president, we would have. We'll get to that. That's in the report, guys. It is in the report. It is in the report. It is but in he the also report. said it out loud. <laughs> right. Well, uh, let me let me get, we'll not, get to the details. Not inconsequential. Right. But we'll get to the details. But I, I want to start with Alan Moore real quick. Is in in your time in Washington, you know, we've never seen kind of this mystical figure the way that we've seen Bob Mueller traded, and he, he's not leaked a whole hell of a lot, if any. 
He's uh, <laughs> been very scarce as far as availability, if it, if at all, to the media. Uh, we've he's been this mystical creature walking the halls of the Department of Justice. Is it different from releasing the report, or did America really need to hear out of Bob Mueller's mouth what he thought? Well, I, I, this expectation had grown up, and the Congress was saying, we need to talk to him, we need to talk to him. There are redactions, oh my gosh, 5%, 4% of the report, 3%, whatever it is, have, has, have been redacted for stated reasons. Um, he's got more. He's got more. We need to hear from him. And I think he finally felt, as he was leaving the department, and that was what that was that was what occasioned this particular uh, appearance in in many ways. He's done, um, really done, off the payroll, and he could walk out and say, as you said, it's all in the report. It's four hundred and forty pages. It's everything I know. It's everything I have to say. It's everything that my team of expert investigators has to say. It's all there. There's nothing else. Did, There's nothing else for me to say. Thank did, you very yeah, much. Yeah, actually, nothing else for him to say versus nothing else. There are still active investigations that stemmed from his investigation. Right. Well, but there's right. nothing else for him to say. A- absolutely about the about about the report, about his charge, uh, about what he did. Yeah, there's there there are ongoing other investigations. The grand jury is still impaneled. Um, that, but but. He's got nothing. Heard a case that's still under seal. But he's right. got. But he. But he's. You know. He's got nothing to do with with that stuff. So he's basically saying, "It's all there. I've got nothing else. Leave me alone." Right. And, and 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 he made a, right. a, a couple of of crisp summary comments that were not new. As Dan points out, it's not insignificant that he said, "If we could have exonerated the president, we would have." But that's all in the report. It's all in the report. But Admiral right. Ken, I mean, this was pretty much a mic drop for Bob Mueller. I mean, this is probably one of the more spectacular mic drops I've seen in politics, if ever. Uh, as he's walking out the door, just pretty much said, yeah, deuces. It could <clears throat> Was there an expectation that Bob Mueller either would have backed up the rhetoric of Bill Barr and the White House, or was there a grasp of hope that this was being done outside the purview of the White House, outside the purview of the Attorney General, that he was going to come in and drop a grenade? Um, I think I think expectations probably tended more toward the latter um, um, by by folks that want to wanted to see something horrendous come out of the. Um, the Mueller report for the president. If, on the other hand, you're on the other side of the fence, um, th- I think that they probably, <laughs> the folks that I talked to, probably were were, were holding, were 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 wringing their hands, hoping that nothing really bad was going to come out. Um, I think, for me, having read, I guess, most of the report now, um, and, you know, I, I was troubled with with uh, Attorney General Barr's assessment. Based on what I read up to that point, uh, I'm even more troubled by what he said. Having said more, and uh, and after um, uh, Mueller finished his statement, um, I I just thought, holy cow! I mean, I, I got to read the rest of this because you know he, he basically just threw Barr under the bus 
basically, you know, showing that he was the shill, shill for the for the president. So um, I, I think, you know, the your opening um, monologue as to what Barr said, um, there's probably one point that, that everybody should take away from it. You know, you, we you live in a Mueller. We, Mueller. We, we you, need, you said Barr. I'm sorry. Uh, there's one thing that we we all we all should do because we live in the free society that we are, and that's read the damn report. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing, it's an amazing um, listing of the things that the president of the United States did to obstruct this investigation. It's just it's it's amazing. Look, Richard Pina, you agree? No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, as he says, it's as he says, in many respects, it's all there. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like if you go back and you if you, you go back and you listen, for example, to the Nixon tapes, you can actually hear the smoking gun where he's actually I think it was Howard Gobel, the congressman said, you know, this is a smoking gun where he's actually ordering the cover up of the break in in this. You know, there now there are questions in terms of whether it should be impeachable and fence, whether, um, you know, I think that what I think that basically what what Mr. Mueller is essentially saying is that this is a political process, you know, that the, the that the the Justice Department does not indict a sitting president that goes back to essentially Nixon. Now, interestingly, there can be a civil case, the Jones v. Clinton case, uh, Clinton v. Jones case, rather, essentially said that uh, said that somebody from a, a can bring up a civil suit against the president, but not necessarily, but, but that the that. You know, in terms of in terms of um, in terms of indicting a sitting president, that essentially goes to the political process, and the House representatives votes to vote for impeachment. If they vote for impeachment, that's the equivalent of indictment. Then it goes to the Senate, and the Senate, of course, obviously, for the Republican Senate, is not going to impeach is not is not going to impeach him. But it's all there for people to see, and I right. think that's why Justin Amish. Uh, Justin Amash, the congressman from Michigan, says, you know, he read the report. He's a Republican, libertarian Republican, but he's a Republican nonetheless. And he said that, you know, if you just read this report, there is impeachable. This is an impeachable offense, so it is a political process. And, you know, I think it was Gerald Ford when he was talking about um, when he was talking about when he was talking about uh, wanting to wanting to impeach Justice Douglas. He said essentially impeachment is whatever we say it's going to be. So, you know, how you define a high crime and misdemeanor is part of the political process. Right, Dan Lipner. So there's a, a lot of details we need to be careful about uh, on, as far as talking about this. So you may not federally indict the president uh, according to Department of Justice rules. Correct. So not law, rules. Right. And right. so as far as the Clinton v. Jones, that was a 9-0 decision against Clinton. Jones won it. Then the president was not uh, able to avoid a civil suit. Um, I have a strong suspicion uh, with the exception, possible exception of Justice Thomas, uh, that it would be a close to unanimous decision about actually indicting a president. However, that's not the main issue to focus on. Actually, leaving off also New York State going into his taxes, Right. Other things might be happening there. But, but, but hold the, on. Before, but, but we, before we leave issue, this topic, before we leave this topic, and let me ask this question, is it, it seems to me, because there are a lot of people interpreting what what Robert Mueller said as the, the Constitution. did it. <laughs> that, well, no, no, no. What he, they're saying that, that the Constitution requires a process other than a criminal justice investigation to charge a sitting president with a crime. He doesn't necessarily use, as President Trump says, the I word. Is he directly saying Congress impeach him? No, he's saying Congress has a job to continue this <laughs> investigation to whether to whatever its conclusion is. And so an impeachment investigation versus impeachment 
are technically two different things. And I would argue that the Congress does now have an affirmative obligation to run this to ground, determine whether or not the the entirety of 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 what has been alleged in the report actually hold, hold elevates to a high crime misdemeanor to right. remove the president hold, from office. Hold, hold that thought because I want to come. I want to come back to that uh, as far as the difference between uh, you know impeachment proceedings, initiating impeachment proceedings, and actual impeachment. I want to come back to that. Let, let's focus on more for a second. Um, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the the one thing I think that uh, Alan Moore that 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 Robert Mueller also wanted to point out was, and again I'm paraphrasing, is hey America, keep your eye on the ball. A foreign country actually hacked into our political process successfully. Let's not lose the force through the trees here. I believe he used the word attacked us. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, but again, I'm paraphrasing. He, I mean, he, he no, told us to keep— attacking and attacking, that star behind Admiral Ken's uh, uh, shoulder there. Right. Uh, Got w- it. When we are attacked, we are entitled to defend ourselves, and the idea the commander-in-chief is not helping in that is kind of a big mm-hmm. deal. Well, again, another side for another time. But, but again, Bob Mueller pretty much came out and said, look, keep your eye on the ball. This is a serious subject. And it's not going away. Uh, was him saying that almost a wake-up call for America to say, "Oh crap, we're kind of hyper-focused on possibly the wrong thing"? Um, it, it was one more voice uh, <clears throat> in. I won't call it the wilderness, but but uh, uh, it's a it, dense it's forest. Some, it sometimes feels like it. Um, the, the, there are major elements at, at Department of Homeland Security, in particular um, CIA, FBI, who are watching the uh, the Russians and others very closely, uh, did in 2018 um, and will be in the lead up to 2020, looking for clues of the kinds of behaviors, perhaps, you know, the 2.0 version of what the Russians were able to do in, in 2016. Um, the American public... Uh, unfortunately, is not paying attention, and I lay the blame for that at the feet of the president, who is so fearful of doing his duty to talk about this foreign threat, fearful because he believes that in some way then he contributes to the notion that maybe with Russian help, he actually got elected. That is just anathema. He said, he said with that. Russian help. He said that in a tweet. I know. He took it down. Yeah. I, I, and and, and I, I, my fault. The Russians helped me win. I, I, no, it wasn't quite like that. But 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 it's clear that he did, that wasn't what he intended. Um, he 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 wants to. He 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 treats that like the the hottest of all hot potatoes and and doesn't want to contribute in any way. Of course, by so doing, he has done significant damage to himself and he has, has helped not very interested Americans uh, stay disinterested and ignorant. And, and that's a significant and sad disservice uh, because this is really, really right. important, Dan, and we need the president to be saying right. so. Dan so we should actually go into the woods on this ever so slightly. This is not new to the Russians going back to the Soviet era. And I was shocked when I actually learned, and I've, I've actually been wa- 
little plug for the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary, uh, that the Russians or the Soviets at the time had this had been a reoccurring theme, and not so much to pick sides, but simply to to augment any discontent that existed domestically. And as an adversary, I'm certain we had done plenty as far as that kind of political manipulation to people we considered foreign adversaries. That said, domestically, and this is something that should be celebrated politically, that all sides saw this as if people are going to exploit our weaknesses, we better reduce those weaknesses. So whether or not it was racial strife, economic strife, all sides said we better try and reduce these problems. Otherwise, the bad guys are going to try and exploit our weaknesses. That is something that should be shouted out and called out and commended as a antithesis of what this president is doing. Yeah, I, I agree. And and Richard Bino, when we when we talk about the fact that we now have Robert Mueller again saying, "Hey, look." Keep your eye on the ball. This is a serious, serious situation. Quit whining about the minor stuff. Is that enough to get America and at least the intelligence community, Department of Homeland Security, DOD, Cybercom, all those entities to wake up and go, oh, yeah, we, we might want to fix this? Uh, I think certainly people in government, yes, I think. But I think in terms of the general population of, as a whole, I think we're so divided right now. I think that Robert, I think that Robert Mueller, in terms of he's viewed as a partisan figure. I mean, even though he's a Republican, um, Trump, Trump always would say that he had a bunch of angry Democrats working for him. I think that most, I think that for the most, for the most part, Donald Trump's base will say that anything the Mueller said is, you know, that he's basically that he, that his his main goal is to dislodge the president and is and the democrats will say yes we have to do this but uh, yes we have to investigate and we have to make things better but you know most people are just going to see this more and less in a political prism um i think that but i think it's tied to the intelligence community certainly the homeland security department and certainly members of the united states congress to see in a bipartisan fashion to try to ameliorate this for the next election you know maybe there could be some sort of a joint communique between the democratic and republican parties Saying that we condemn any we can we condemn um, anything that's going anything that any potential conflicts with the, the U.S. Right. election. I know that Donna Brazile, who was who was interim chairwoman of the Democratic Party after Debbie Watson Schultz uh, resigned involving the uh, involving the scandal after WikiLeaks came out and said that showed that Hillary they did favor Hillary over Bernie Sanders. Um, she basically came out and, and approached Rice Priebus, who was the chairman of the Republican National Committee at the time right before one of the debates and said, why don't we do something similar to this, issue something saying that, you know, there's no place for interference in, the, in, the, in, the, in our elections. And according to her book anyways, what she says is that Rice Priebus just kind of said, well, you know, this is a very important time we're at right now, and it's kind of turned his back and kind of moved away. And, you know, they, so they never really necessarily got that, but this is something perhaps, you know, how do you argue against being <laughs> – how for 2020 is it possible for a chairman of either party to say, yes, we support interference from a foreign adversary in, in, in a domestic matter? <clears throat> All right. Uh, we're we're going to take a quick break. When we when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion on the on the Mueller probe. There's a lot of stuff we got to talk about, including what possibly is going to happen from here forward, which is still foggy at best. This is the best political talk you never heard of. It's background politics from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Okay, so first of all, before we get started, I need to make an apology. Uh, For those of you guys who have been listening to us over the past three weeks, you've noticed that uh, Backroom Politics has also sounded like a audio Petri dish between uh, Alan Moore and myself, myself in particular, uh, I tend not to hide it as well as he does, uh, we have been hacking up lungs on air. So it, for those of you who are driving around in like HD quality, listening to us in HD quality, and all of a sudden you hear, we apologize, we'll, 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 we're trying to fix it. Which is why I'm more Excuse me, what, what, was that? what was that, Alan, I mean, uh, Admiral? This is why I'm staying in Florida away from you sick people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull out Boca del Vista. At least the blue hairs down here are healthy. <clears throat> yeah, right, exactly. So, anyway. As long as they're still on the scene, right? Yeah, yeah hey, yeah, hey, he's the one calling from God's waiting room. Hey, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about the uh, Mueller announcement last week, uh, and I want to continue on that. But I, I want to go back to a point that you had brought up earlier, and that was the the thin line between the Justice Department rule and it actually being unconstitutional to indict a seated president outside of impeachment. Could, is, is Bill Barr the Attorney General right in one instance when he says, uh, you know, it is, it is unconstitutional, I mean, paraphrasing, it is unconstitutional to indict a seated president because that will take away and affect his ability to execute the office under Article One. It's open for debate. Um, could, could let me put it another way: Could or should Bob Mueller had put an indictment out there and tested the waters, or would that have been a weapon of mass destruction? It could have been a weapon of mass destruction. It, this is not an uncomplicated question. I wish I could say it's easy. Um, the, the idea that the Justice Department, which all serves at the essentially at the pleasure of the president, minus civil service protections, would then go after him in a criminal in a criminal way, is a challenging conversation. That and this literally goes back to Nixon and him wanting to fire Archibald Cox. The fact of the matter is the president has a lot of leeway, especially as far as political appointees, as far as removing all of them um, at his will. Um, And there's a bit of a question as far as how far the president's will goes. And this that question literally goes all the way back to uh, to President Thomas Jefferson and the and the uh, the uh, the the postmaster general and an appointment that he didn't want to live with. So these are very, very hard questions. So going at the core of who Robert Mueller is and who that all write-ups have always said he is, he's a straight shooter. And he took these rules as gospel and those rules that dictated how he was to do his job. And he followed those rules as such. And to his credit, when he spoke, he said, you know, the Constitution does create as essentially another option here that it the conversation does not stop where this report stops. And the problem with that is 
it kind of ignores the, the the political communications math that's been at play. So the Mueller report comes out. However, the biggest political statement that was made prior to that was the attorney general, who essentially was pl- playing political hackdom for the president of the United States, completely misrepresenting the report. And so that was allowed to circulate for a number of days. And this is also the mistake that Comey made, understating what he thought his that his public statement was going to mean for the Clinton campaign. So there's a certain political tone deafness there. However, there's also the actual rules and guidelines for their job. I have genuine sympathy for both gentlemen, both Comey and Mueller, as far as the how the best way to do their job actually plays out, both in real politics and by the rules that they've been directed to live by. It is a tough world, right, but, especially but, for Comey back when it was just Republicans running the show it, and there was no legitimate oversight. So the question is, how do you choose to handle that? And it is a tough, tough call. So Rich Rubino, as our political historian in residence now, we we hear the argument of the legal side, but historically, are these the same arguments that we heard back starting in 72 and working our way forward to ultimately 74 when, when Richard Nixon left? Are these the same arguments that were existent back during Watergate? Uh, similar, similar in terms of... So I would say that actually I think probably a better analogy in terms of Trump, though, in terms of, as opposed to Watergate, would have been Bill Clinton and Kenneth Starr. Um, you know, Robert Fisk was the first special prosecutor, and Clinton didn't necessarily go after him. He was a, re- a Republican, but I think that it was once Kenneth Starr was appointed that Clinton made it in a sense about me versus Kenneth Starr versus me, and they really tried to demonize Kenneth Starr. You know, and Kenneth Starr didn't help himself in part. He had Susan McDougall, for example, who was one of the Clinton's Arkansas business partners, and she wouldn't testify against the Clintons. So at one point they actually had her in handcuffs, you know, going to prison, and it just it really did not um, bode well for Kenneth Starr. And I think that eventually the Clinton, I think that Clinton eventually, you know, he was able to, and this wasn't only Clinton, this was James Carville, this was Paul Begallus, the entire Clinton team, they were able to, Use, they were able to use they were able to de- use that and others to demonize um, Kenneth Starr. I think that's what you're seeing Donald Trump trying to do right now uh, to Robert. I hope this answers the question to Robert Miller. Is he's trying to say that he's basically a, he's basically even though he's a Republican, he's a partisan. Um, you know, he's a, he's, he's the people that work for him are Democrats, and their sole objective is for there to be a witch hunt. And that what they're trying to do is they're trying to get is that they're trying right. to get me out of office. And he's basically a tribune of the Democratic Party. He's a tribune of, I guess he'd call it, you know, the deep state or the or the or the the fake the fake media. But he doesn't represent what he would call going back to the Nixon term, you know, the silent majority. Um, you know, Nixon was talking about the people who didn't protest the Vietnam War. He called them the silent majority. I think when Trump referred to it in the 2016 campaign, now I think he views he views he views he views Mr. Mueller as somebody who's trying to go who's trying to directly go after him. So, I, but I think that the Clinton right. star analogy is probably a better. Right. Analogy. I, I think it's important to contrast some differences there, though. The and I, I your, your point your point has merit, but you have to contrast the the the. Clinton investigation started with Whitewater, a $68,000 land deal, and yep. it ended with Monica Lewinsky. And that's something different than where the Mueller investigation, which, to its credit, st- stayed very focused 
on the Russia investigation, what when it stumbled upon other issues, it referred. It did not hang on to those additional uh, investigations. It referred them to other departments in the Department of Justice. But it, it stayed focused on the Russia investigation. So Mueller actually learned from Ken Starr. And th- that kind of contrast we need to pay attention to. <clears throat> Alan Moore, you worked in the Senate back in the day. Uh, I don't recall Ken Starr ever talking about, or the pressure being on Ken Starr to uh, formally indict and bring charges. And the press a lot, though. But I don't remember. I don't remember the pressure on Ken Starr the way it was on on Bob Mueller. What What are the difference? Well, it was the the nature of the charges um, were completely and totally different. The time frame was different, um, as 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 Dan pointed out. Mueller started out looking at the Russians, and then as he and the president initially um, was uh, was <laughs> incredibly um, uh, cooperative in providing information um, that came back to bite him. Um, we talked many times. We've talked many times. The president's about people, the, not the, the president. The, 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 the the, the president made people and documents available to an extraordinary degree. It came back to bite him, in particular with Don McGahn, who spent some 30 or more hours, uh, who appears, I think, more than any other individual other than the president, in the in the Mueller report. Um, and and uh, and and now the president's trying to, to to prevent McGahn from coming forward and saying anything more or providing the documents that McGahn gave to Mueller um, uh, to, to the Congress uh, th- that wants them. I think if this were all to occur uh, over again, the president would have handled it very very differently. Um, again, this was all about in his mind the 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 effort to delegitimize his election, and he wanted to make. Any and every effort to prevent that from occurring. He was advised to make all this, all of these people, and all this information uh, available. As the thing dragged on, and and Mueller began to look in, into family members um, and some of Mueller's uh, uh, financial dealings, um, that's when Trump said, "Who is this guy, Mueller?" Oh, he was a guy who was a member of my golf course and who was part of a group that was angry at what happened when I took over the golf course. He has a conflict of interest. He wasn't angry. He just wanted his – where's it going? And and he starts thinking he's got a conflict of interest. He's got a personal (laughs) complaint with me and my company. Get him out of there. He didn't say – uh, I mean, it was ham-handed and stupid. Don't get me wrong, but he didn't say dissolve that office. He said, "Get Mueller out of there. He's got a conflict of interest. Fire Mueller, McGann. Fire Mueller. Sessions. Unrecuse yourself and fire Mueller. Not close the shop." He 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 fixated on Mueller as being the problem. Now, these people that he would order to do this were refusing to do so. Now. Was it obstruction of justice? That's an interesting question. A lot of people say, yep. Others say, nope. 
including Barr and Rosenstein, who felt after the Mueller report did not make a recommendation on 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 obstruction and explained why, felt that it wasn't fair. This is my take on it. It wasn't fair to the country to leave that whole question hanging. Was there obstruction or not? And they said, even though we don't think that even though the, right. the, we could not bring an indictment, our conclusion, looking at everything, looking at the entire report, is that there was inadequate evidence to bring an obstruction charge. Now, That's that not was what Barr very. Barr added something else. He said, if there was no underlying crime, there could not be obstruction, he, which is an absolute violation of the concept of obstruction so, of justice. Right. So he, yes, he did say that too. But 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 he said both things, and and. Uh, one can argue whether he he whether he and Rosenstein went too far in saying either or both of those things. Um, Barr has taken an enormous amount of flack. I'm the only one who ever defends him, uh, which is not to say I've defended every every last thing that he's done. I think he's made he's made some mistakes, um, but but. But not the big mistake of of simply being the toady and the shill that people uh, accuse him of being. Um, we don't need to we don't need to, to 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 go there now. I do think that he and Rosenstein had a point. When you look at everything that's in the Mueller report, was this obstru- did this constitute obstruction of justice by the president? And they said, under under departmental standards, we believe it does not. There are a thousand U.S. attorneys that say otherwise. Well, I, I mean, but but here's no, but he, but here's, here's to Alan's point. I will defend that, and saying, look, there, there are a thousand attorneys that can de- that can defend that. None of them are the attorney general. Now, in this whole idea that, and and I love the idea that as this is going on, the letter with the 380 former U.S. attorneys that sign on saying, I absolutely would have charged Donald Trump. With uh, that's not what they said. I don't think no, in that letter. No, no. no said, but I'm, I'm using it to defend you. What they said was, we we would we would absolutely bring charges with similar cases provided, and we would have charged with obstruction. The great thing about it is they can say that now because they're former U.S. attorneys. There's not a U.S. attorney in America that's going to bring if there's not enough evidence. I think what they I think what they said, in fairness to to what they said, they didn't they didn't put it in the context of the president. If this same set of facts were brought about another individual, Correct. it would be an indictable offense. All right, yeah, fair, yes. fair. Okay, and, and that fair. number has grown to more than 1,000. Okay, and, that's fine. But and, they, we're not talking about the president, and we're not talking about uh, people that are currently seated U.S. attorneys. Right. And we're not which, talking which, which about the president now, Which is now, it circles back to w- whether or not it's Congress or the Department of Justice well, that needs to take the next well, let me step. Bring up, hold on. Let me bring we, up one other subject. Let me bring up, hold on. Let me bring up one other question. Process, and Wait, that's what they up, all look to. No, but let me bring up one other question. Is there are now people saying, and I've heard this from a few here in Washington, that they think the attorney general should not be appointed by the president. What other option is there? I mean, is the attorney general serves at the pleasure of the president now? There could be politicized there are, there and manipulated. Are, there are a lot of other. Well, a the president has to be involved. So, so let's under yeah, our yeah, current that, structure, the 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 president absolutely has to be involved. You could, however, 
add uh, add additional requirements. You could actually make the attorney general appointment much like either the director of the FBI, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, with it, or, or any member of the Federal Reserve. Right. Have their term and, go in excess of the president's term so they are removed from politics and also put a cap on it so they actually have some, some stature that goes beyond the president's. Right. And, and how did that work out for Comey? Right. Or... Or or Sesh, or yeah, Jeff Sessions. Well, well Jeff no, Sessions saying, was under the old. No, no, but, but the point is, the point, the point that I'm making is that the president put enough pressure on him over that over that time as he could on any other appointee. So in moving the the attorney general from underneath the uh, the cabinet, aren't we talking a, a constitutional amendment here? Well, it depends again. It depends how you do it. The the the, the Fed is not clearly represented in the cons. It's not represented in the Constitution at all. Uh, no, but the attorney general is. The, no, actually, the attorney general is also not in the Constitution. It, it, it is it is a it, it is a cabinet agency created by Congress that still is it, it, under the executive. So I believe the Navy and the and the Secretary of State are the only ones that are actually mentioned. I think the Treasury as well are mentioned in the Treasury. Constitution proper. Proper. Yep. Um, so the the question is how do you do it? And as as Alan correctly pointed out, uh, Comey, the director of the FBI, actually is. Supposed to be removed from politics, I believe it's a six-year term. Um, that, I think it's ten. Oh, yeah. a ten-year term yeah, to, to, to to try to remove the the director but at of the one FBI point it was from for politics. Life. That's the J. Edgar Hoover scenario. And uh, well, ex- I think that was more implied life. It, 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 was, it was open-ended. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the 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 Hoover file somewhat <laughs> made it also uh, yeah. uh, the director of the FBI for life. Right. So the question is, how do you do it? And so the the president not violating norms for a 10-year appointment, um, as this president promptly did in the firing of Comey. Um, so the question is, what's next? Because the president does have some pretty broad well, powers. We'll, we'll get to that. But Rich Rapino, the idea of removing the attorney general from politics, I mean, this is a guy that not only serves at the pleasure of the president, but also serves as the country's attorney, i.e., he supervises the solicitor general. Yeah. Uh, you know, does does that role go into conflict? I mean, we you know we've seen the talking heads here in D.C. talk about the fact that, well, the the the, the White House counsel is the lawyer for the executive. Uh, Jay Sekulow and Rudy Giuliani are the personal attorneys for the president. The attorney general is the highest-ranking law enforcement officer in the country and the highest-ranking lawyer in the country and should stand alone. How do we deconflict this, or can we? Yeah, well, I'd also say during the Clinton administration, you know, certainly Bruce Lindsay and Charles Ruff were, and Cheryl Mills as well, were certainly they were White, they were White House attorneys <clears> and they ended up defending the president in different, in different matters, one of them being certainly in the uh, impeachment hearing. I think it was Cheryl Mills was that, and Mr. Ruff were actually at the Senate and the Senate floor defending him. But I don't know how you necessarily take it out of politics. I mean, you, know, you, think, you, know, you think Barr is political, but look at, for example, John Mitchell, who Nixon appointed, who he re- literally ran Nixon's campaign in 1968, and then Nixon gives him the reward. I guess the only thing that, it, to the extent that it, that it is taken out of politics, is they're not appointed. You know, I guess the Senate has to confirm them. There is some sort of checks and balances there. But generally speaking, most cabinet officials are confirmed by the United States Senate, even if they are in a different party's hands. 
I mean, I guess you could make it something like the Congressional Budget well, Office, or you can make it into some sort of any, you know, something like that. And I, the idea being that it's, or that it's something like the FBI, I guess. But but how, you know, how, how do we do it? I mean, the OMB, as far as their right to investigate. But there's, but just to go go in a different direction, there's also yeah. the issue of the integrity of people holding the office, and. So, and this goes back to when I was a, a White House intern and, and Attorney General Reno, uh, after after she was reappointed, um, she had to wait longer than anyone else in Clinton's cabinet for her reappointment. She served all eight years as Attorney General, uh, in part because she had a guardian in Orrin Hatch um, yes. that, the, that Hatch, for his oversight while in, in the Senate, saw Attorney General Reno as a as a as an honest broker, that doing an honest investigation of of Bill Clinton. There's also the awkwardness of the <clears throat> during a I believe it was a Rose Garden press conference when there, some papers were found in in the either the White House or somewhere in the OMB, and Attorney General Reno was asked how she felt about uh, these documents suddenly being found by accident, and she she explicitly said, I was pissed. I was angry. <laughs> right. And she was standing right next to the president when right. this occurred. Those right. were Hillary Clinton documents. Right. Hillary Clinton right. documents right. having to yeah, do didn't with... did they find Whitewater documents in a car somewhere, too? Yeah, they, uh, yeah. You know, in a junkyard somewhere. Yeah, there was all sorts of weird things that occurred. However, the, the, the point is more toward Attorney General Reno and her ability to do the job even in the political context, while defending the presidency and the presidency's uh, agenda going forward, but and also doing her job to investigate the president and her job as the attorney general there. She she navigated that well. Not to say it was probably easy for her at all, but she right. still did the job and she did both things simultaneously. Uh, this attorney general... It's a little iffier, yeah. and that and, might be generous. And by the way, every time we bring up <laughs> Janet Reno, I always just remember Janet Reno dance party with Will Ferrell. I just love something that, that skin. she actually did when her run for governor. I know, I know that that was actually pretty cool. And Which, she was actually—it's interesting. She was actually Bill Clinton's third choice because remember there were some um, there were some issues involving Danny right. um, and, and there were some scandals involving the first two. So Janet right. Reno was never really a Clintonista. He, she but, was never she was never really loyal to. Uh, him in that respect, so she was able right. to be an independent agent. All right, we've, we've got about we got about uh, about five and a half minutes left on the show. I want to talk about where do we go from here? Right now, uh, Nancy Pelosi has been reluctant to call out impeachment. A lot of, there's there's been a handful of the 2020 candidates that are starting to call for impeachment. Uh, there's been some tension in the Democratic Party as far as how far do we go. What is the next move here? Admiral Ken, what's the next move for Nancy Pelosi? Because quite frankly, I think she's been playing it correctly. She's been playing I, I think, it smartly. I, I think she's been playing it correctly, too. <laughs> you know, I, I think there, for me, there's two schools of thought. So school of thought number one is the Constitution kind of demands that people in elected roles do their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And if they see behavior... Uh, like the kind that we have seen from President Trump, then in some respects, I think they're kind of honor-bound to, um, to take the appropriate actions as, as, as defined by the Constitution. The other side of my brain is a lot more realistic. Going through an impeachment right now would end nowhere. It would, he would not be removed from office by the Senate. It would use a lot of money, a lot of time. And I'm not entirely sure that the Democratic Party would be able to 
um, come back and win an election against Trump after that's over. Right. Uh, I, I so I, I think in the interest of, of, of in my personal opinion, in the interest of moving this person along to his private life and whatever happens after that, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to side with uh, with Speaker Pelosi in that you know stay the course, you know uh, do do the uh, do the political <clears throat> death by a thousand cuts action that she's doing now through investigations. Get Jerry Nadler some uh, some 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 uh, some tutoring on how to run a uh, uh, a TV show because that's the person he's up against. And, uh, and and press ahead. All right. I, w- I want to go back to one thing that you brought up earlier, uh, Dan. And because right now, under the current uh, under the current setup with a Republican con- uh, Senate and the Democratic House, there's just no way we're going to get an impeachment unless something breaks big uh, out of an out of the Senate. Impeachment conviction. Conviction. Remember the yeah, pieces right. of this the, process. The conviction. Yeah. So let me so, let me go back to this though. But, what what I want to do is, there are, there is calls for, and a lot of Democrats are calling for, starting the process of conducting an investigation into bringing up impeachment in Congress versus the actual impeachment hearing itself. What are the two differences, Alan Moore? Let me start with you. So so. Let's look at where we are at the moment. Right. We've got several investigations going on in a couple of different committees, and this is really significant to what happens next. What what Nancy Pelosi is saying, what Speaker Pelosi is saying is, let's go down this, this investigative role and see what we learn. And then if there's sufficient information to initiate an, inv- a, an impeachment investigation in the Judiciary Committee, we'll know it at the time, and then we can go that direction. Right. But we're not there yet. Here's one of the things that could that matters a lot, though. If how courts decide uh, uh, the 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 effort to compel testimony from the likes of of William Barr, Don McGahn, Hope Hicks in their investigation, and if they if they fail in getting access to those people, in part because it's not seen as an sufficiently legislative in scope that could cause Nadler and the Democrats to say we need to hear from those people we look like we're toothless if we do an inv- an impeachment investigation we have a stronger hand in the courts in getting access to those people and they might feel forced to open an investigation simply to get access to the people these they, are, these they are claim they have to have proceedings. They, th- th- that's correct. There's you have you have an investi- you have an impeachment investigation. Who takes that, o- who takes that, over the investigation? Well, it's the it's the chairman of the judiciary committee and the and house. That would be Jerry Nadler. That's Jerry Nadler. It's his thing. They can also it, appoint. It, they, they can also it, ha- appoint an investigator if they want to have somebody else conducting the questions. Well, they can also the use. Well, they can also there use a lot the of different things they could they use. use the Office of Congressional Investigations. If well, they I mean, so the choose. point is, though, it would be that the judiciary would 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 begin an impeachment uh, investigation in the committee, and 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 they would have stronger access, a stronger hand under the Constitution and in the view of the courts to some of the people and some of the documents they want to get their hands on. Now, that's dangerous for them politically because all of a sudden, the the Republicans and others are going to say. 
They've started down the impeachment road. They want to mm-hmm. to throw out this president, and it has all this all the political overtones. The best thing that could happen to the Democrats is if they can win some of these early court decisions that would give them the access to the Don McGanns of the world and Hope Hicks's of the world, so they don't have to strengthen their argument. In the in an impeachment process, and, and worth noting, thus far, uh, while it's the only the investigations as far as the right. the, the uh, president's tax returns, the, the they've won almost every step of the way. I say, I believe they've won every step of the way. As you're far talking as about the House versus the, Trump, the House versus Trump, arguably right. the Congress's power is at its zenith in the its duty to conduct oversight and its duty to investigate. So. Handling that responsibly is the key. And going down the road, and I have no doubt how the president will handle it, uh, just as Alan has said, that there they go, just going and going off and doing the stuff and not doing the nation's business, even though I can would argue uh, that the Democratic Party can walk into chew gum at the same time, unlike this president, um, that <laughs> do, conducting that investigation and using the Mueller report as a starting off point – and subpoenaing everything and helping putting all that stuff public. So the failure of Comey and Mueller as far as the the public PR side of things and understanding where the political the the political communication politics is at play, whereas the House handling it and handling it responsibly and laying that all out. So the woman that everyone referenced who didn't know that I- there was anything bad about the president in the Mueller report – that that is laid out and that is that you're spoon feeding that to the American public and getting them the the opportunity to actually know the facts. Gotcha. Around the horn real quick, close out the show. Does Nancy Pelosi begin impeachment proceedings on Donald Trump in the next month? Yes. Yes. Alan Moore? No. Admiral Ken? Nope. And uh, Rich Rubino? No. Really? Interesting. well, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking politically. She knows there are 31 Democrats that represent districts that Trump won last time, and she knows that that's the reason that the House, that they're in the, that they are in the power in the House of Representatives right now. Until Trump's job approval goes to about 29 percent, there's no political incentive for her to for her to put those politicians on the line to have to take a position. We'll bring that up. We'll bring that up in, a, in, a, in another. That's the right answer. We'll bring that up in another <laughs> subject, another another episode. Uh, the, before we close out, um, this past week. Uh, there was another mass shooting, this time in Virginia Beach, Virginia, at the uh, municipal building for the city of Municipal Beach. Uh, Twelve dead, uh, four injured, three critical right now. The suspect is, was killed on scene. Uh, suspect walked into a building with two extended magazines on two forty-five caliber semi-automatic pistols, with a silencer on the pistol. <clears throat> Tell me why a civilian needs a silencer on a pistol. That's just stupid. I'm tired. I'm, I'm getting tired of doing this, folks. And and we were going to bring this up, but it, it's it, we every time we bring it up, we go over the same language. It's time for Congress. It's time for the administration to start getting smart on this and start stop the endless just stupidity and put into place uh, sensible gun control. This is just... The only reason you want a silencer like that is because you don't want to wake the kids when you're killing your wife. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's horrible stuff like that 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 just comes out in, the, in this stuff. 
because uh, I'm tired of also mentioning the names of the victims. Laquita C. Brown, Tora Welch-Gallagher, Mary Louise Gale, Alexander Mikhail uh, Gusarev, Ri- uh, Richard Nettleton, Christopher Kelly Rapp, Catherine A. Nixon, Ryan Keith Cox, Michelle Longer, Joseph O. Hardy, Robert Williams, and Herbert Snelling. Another 11 gone. In this senseless act of rage, a senseless act of violence. Let's get smart about this, people. Uh, on behalf of Dan Lipner, Alan Moore, uh, Rich Rapino, Admiral Ken, we've got uh, special thanks to uh, Rob the Engineer, Charlie Burney, who's been in and out running the show. And always thank you very much, Eric Thomas, our producer. You can follow us now on Twitter, on Facebook. Go to our website, backroompolitics.org. Hey, you can also download us on your favorite podcasts services like Spotify, iTunes, which is going away, uh, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And now we're officially on iHeartRadio, baby. We're big time. Woo! We're going to be putting a press release out on that one. Keep an eye. We'll see you next time for the best political talk show you never heard of. Have a great America, or have a great week, America. That's what we wanted to do. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.